Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Questions. You, Facebook is live, and I think also YouTube is therefore live. You schedule it with all the questions on Facebook, and I can't see the schedule. You know what it's like. I can't see the schedule fake questions. So therefore, what I've done is I've opened Facebook to see the questions because it was posted on Facebook what the um, what the questions were. We joined too soon. Do you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, uh, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'm getting the questions from the Facebook post itself, but the Facebook post was posted by, was it posted by this software? Yeah, by, yeah. So it must be on here somewhere, but I can't find it. Anyway, there you go. You live and learn. So I'm, I don't know. There you go. That's what I'm doing. I'm doing it. And I think it's working on Facebook and on well, I know Instagram's never a problem. Instagram just ticks away. You haven't got all of the little things where you can write on the screen, but it ticks away and it just works. I don't want to disrespect Facebook. I do not want to do that because obviously it's a big company. But but to be fair, maybe it's this system I'm using. Okay, anyway, let's go. Um, without further ado, there are some questions which have been posted on Facebook. I uh, don't know if they get posted on Instagram as well, do they? I think they do, actually. Yes, they do, don't they? So I'll go through those questions. But if you've got any questions, please ask me as I go along uh, because um, because I don't know how long it might not. I don't know. I don't know how long it will take me to get through these questions. But anyway, let's just see how we get on. So the first question, um, again, I was trying to look for the background of these questions and failing so there you go uh the first question says what should i expect post-operatively now what is that's a little bit of an open question um uh what should i expect post-operatively uh well it'd be nice to be a bit more specific about a particular operation and i guess broadly speaking there's two types of operations at the clinic there's minor procedures which are moles and and cysts and, and earlobes and nipples and things like that, um, nipple, nipple operations. And then there's major procedures, which are things like breast implants, tummy tucks, uh, breast lifts and things like that. So um, for a minor procedure, you, you, you'll slow down aesthetic, walk in, walk out while you wait, mole remover while you wait. Huh? What do you think? Big sign outside, big neon sign outside the clinic, mole remover while you wait, toying with that idea, um, you know, narrow. Anyway. Um, so those things are done while you wait. Maybe, of course you can, Miss Karina Bean. Of course you can ask questions, yes. Um, oh, Donatella's in the house. Hi, Donatella, how are you, how are you doing? Um, so, uh, yeah, so there's minor procedures, which are local anesthetic, in and out, and then you go, you walk out the door, and, uh, you, you, you know, for most things, you can probably go to work next day. If it's a mole or something on your face, you might have stitches or something like that. So you might not be comfortable doing that, but you certainly, you know, be okay straight off the bat. If you have stitches and dressings, we normally do them after about a week. Take those take those dressings off and, uh, and the, the, the area is a bit red to start off with. So that would be a minor procedure. Major procedure, now I think about it, um, 
there are quite a lot of similarities now I think about it but a major procedure you you wouldn't be going back to work the next day you'd need um and normally a couple of weeks off for most things things like a tummy tuck and, and what have you can be a bit bigger so maybe I normally say two to three weeks off um and um a bit uncomfortable to start with swollen up and down shapes especially with the breast surgery shapes not right but even with the tummy and things are swelling or what have you and um then so to be honest as you think about the similarities i mean the similar there are similarities in terms of post-op regime because it's pretty similar what we do in the clinic and that is one week dressing um six weeks uh, with me to see how you're getting on talk about scar management etc because the scar will be red and firm at that stage uh then three or four months then six months then 12 months then yearly um so that's actually for pretty much anything but you might be fine earlier than that and you might not want to keep on coming back so you don't have to keep on coming back but we offer it uh, to everybody we offer everybody a yearly appointment to uh, keep in touch with them um so uh so yeah so a bit worse than uh that with the major stuff <laughs> stuff i feel like that's been a really um lackluster answer but maybe i shouldn't say that don't put yourself down jay keep going yeah we are on air okay it's, this is happening this is live there's no second chances okay so that's the answer to that question and we're just going to go with it i can't put the questions up on the screen because I, I can't see them on my thing um so we're just going to go with it that, that that's that's the best i can do on that one um so that is the answer to that question um good right <laughs> kim oh and instagram's got questions which is awesome and kim has just asked Chris on Facebook. So I'll do Kim because it's a, it's a relatively good. I think when can I go into hot tub after tummy tuck, please? So I'd be a little bit careful with a hot tub, Kim. What I would say, a bit like a swimming pool, really. So um, I would say that you will need to be dry. You, 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 you need to not have any dressings, basically. Your wounds need to be dry. Uh, but even if you do have dressings, sometimes you have little bits that, that don't heal up so well and you get a little bit of um, sort of staining or, you know, uh, exudate on your underwear or, or on your clothes so if you're still at that stage if there's anything a bit wet a bit weepy then i wouldn't get in your hot tub so once it's all fully healed and and uh, and and um you've got no dressings on that's that's the sign i'm gonna say six weeks would be reasonable uh for that but you'll probably probably be there before then um but it's you know talk to your surgeon kim because kim killick is not a name i, re I recognize although you might be under a pseudonym i know what you like on facebook but uh, if you are my patient, give me a ring and I'll, and I'll let you know because I'll, I'll know you. But if um, but if not, talk to your surgeon. But yeah, just when everything's all totally dry, what have you. Um, losing track of the Instagram, what's going on? So we've got a question earlier on on Instagram, but that's okay because I can scroll. I'm a scroller. Here we go. Um, okay, I'll do one. Well then, do, do one. Yeah. I am considering having breast implants and it's scaring me reading girls saying that their bodies have rejected them. And I wanted to know your take on this, please. Uh, yeah, that is scary, Amy. Um, so uh, my take on that is that breast implants don't get rejected, uh, Amy, to be quite frank with you. So um, but the, the rejection in a medical term is your body uh, reacting to the uh, to to the thing, and it you, and it refers to tissue, because the tissues have antigens. Tissues have antigens, and your body has antibodies, and your uh, your body will attack anything that's not host, that's not itself. So it refers to things like um, kidneys, or you know lungs, or, or 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 a tissue that you're putting inside your body can get rejected if the anti 
gens on the uh, tissue are, are not recognized by your body as being part of your body. That's why you have to match people and things when you do uh, transplants. So rejection doesn't have a breast implants. Breast implants don't have antigens. They're just silicone. They're inert. But what does happen with breast implants is infection. And I think when people say their body rejected their implant, what they're talking about is they got an infection. Infection means it gets red and angry. The wound might open up and sometimes the implant can be visible and it looks like the implant's sort of coming out almost. And they think, oh, my God, my body's rejected the implant. It's terrible. It's, it's infection. It's very rare. I've got to be honest with you. It is very rare. But it is probably, I would say, the big thing that we worry about in, in, with, in, with implants. It is the big thing that we worry about because it is significant. Because if you get an infection, you have to remove the implant uh, and then uh, and then you can put one back in a few months later. So it is something we worry about. And um, and I've got to be honest, Amy, there's other things you've got to worry about with implants as well. Not just infection. There's capsular contracture, which is going hard. In the future, there are many things happen in the future that uh, might need, might need uh, upkeep. So there are things you have to be aware of. And what it's all about, Amy... It's balancing them. It's balancing the risks, the versus the benefits. Because if you think, oh my God, infection, that sounds terrible. It is terrible. It's awful because you have to take the implant out. You have to be without an implant for a few months. Um, don't, you know, don't want to go through that. As I say, it's very rare. So you have to put it into, into perspective. But if you, that's fine. Then don't have implants. If, if the risks are too high for you, versus your benefits, because the benefits are very personal of this sort of surgery. It's a very personal um, uh, choice. And so if you're thinking, you know what? I could like quite like implants, but you know, take them or leave them. I'm quite happy with how I am, and it might be nice to have them. And then we start saying, "Well, you can get infection, you can get you can get uh, calcium contraction, you get all these problems with them." And you might think, "Oh, crikey, back off!" Uh, and then don't have them. Um, so it's, it depends on uh, the risks are, are the same for everybody, and there are there are quite a lot of things that can go wrong with implants, but it, they're all very rare. So when you come to see us, we'll tell you all these things that can happen. And all of them are very rare. But still, we have to tell you everything. Um, and you have to make a judgment as to whether that is the risk you want to take. Uh, so I don't know if that's been helpful. Maybe maybe not. But anyway, things can go wrong with implants, Amy. And, uh, but not rejection. It's infection that they're talking about. Um, but as I say, it's a very rare complication. Uh, Katie Sarah, for over... What's, what's happening? Um, for, oh, we've got a bit of both. That's what we want. This is the interaction we need. This is, I've, I've made it. I've finally, I've broken it. Right, Katie, Sarah, for over the muscle breast augmentation, how long will you suggest having off work and how long until you can drive? Thank you. So Katie, Sarah, very, uh, everything that I say is obviously sort of generic for everybody. So uh, everybody's different. After a week, I think you'll be feeling better. Uh, it is a bit better when it's over the muscle compared to under the muscle. Uh, under the muscle is a little bit more uncomfortable and takes a little bit longer for things to settle. So I think you'll be feeling better after a week and you will probably be doing stuff working from home and things. Will you be able to drive? Maybe. Uh, I'm sorry to not be too clear on that, but I would say two weeks is safer, Katie. Uh, obviously, if you work for yourself, you'd probably, you, you probably will be going to work in the second week. But if you work for a company and you have to tell them whether you're going to be back or not, sometimes it can be a bit annoying if you say, I'll be back after a week. And then after a week, you think, oh, my God, it's really hurts and I'm not ready to go back. So it's safer to say two weeks, but you might be OK after a week. Everyone's different uh, in terms of driving. And so therefore, did you say driving or did I? Yeah, you did say driving. Um, so uh, everyone's different and it just depends on how you uh, how you recover. So. Uh, two weeks would be safer. You might be able to go, go driving after after one week. And again, working the same. So two two weeks, you know, once you're driving and, and you're feeling better, you're still going to be a bit sore, still going to be a bit swollen. No heavy lifting for four to six weeks. But if your work doesn't involve that, then you should be okay doing that sort of thing. 
Khan says hello. I don't know if I've said hello to you, Khan. I don't know if I've acknowledged that comment or not. Can't remember. It's all it's all a bit of a blur of what happened earlier on. Uh, Kim Killick says I'm looking and telling a tummy tuck. Awesome. Good. Well, Kim, if you want any questions, you know where to come. Um, Amy, where are you based, please? I am based in Edgbaston in Birmingham. I have a clinic in uh, in Edgbaston, just near Five Ways Roundabout. I don't know if you know where that is. Uh, but that's where it is, quite central, um, near five-way train station as well. Anyway, Miss Karina B, should you avoid elevating a breast IMF, inframemory fold, uh, if there was not a big difference between the two IMF heights? What issues can arise if this procedure is done during a BA? Interesting question, Miss Karina Bean. Um, normally, for someone who has not had surgery, if you're going to do anything to the IMF, the inframemory fold, so the IMF uh, ladies and gentlemen, is the fold where your wire of your bra sits. It's where your breast uh, meets your meets your sort of ab abdominal wall. Um, and it's a very important landmark. And if we're going to do anything to the IMF when we're doing a breast augmentation, it's normally lowering it. So it's, it's, I'm trying to think of a situation where you'd raise an IMF for a primary breast augmentation, and I can't actually think of one. If anything, you, you often need to lower it, because if you kept the IMF, if you kept the fold where it was, if you look at a breast, a, a, a small breast, often the distance from the nipple to the inframammary fold is quite short. So if you then put an implant in and, and respected that same inframammary fold, the implant would sit too high. And it wouldn't be centered on the nipple. It would be way all implant above the nipple and no implant below the nipple. And so it would look like the nipple sitting low. Um, so you often have to lower the inframammary fold to center that implant on the nipple. So that's actually quite common with the breast implants. Um, and if you've got a discrepancy between uh, inframammary folds, it's easier to lower inf an inframammary fold than to raise one. So everything else being equal, probably I would lower the, the, the higher inframary fold to match the other side um, rather than raising it. Now, you can raise an inframary fold, and you're normally raising an inframary fold for people who've had surgery and where the inframary fold has been made too low and the impl implant's sitting too low, and therefore you need to redefine it or, or bring it back up. So um, that would be the normal situation. What issues can arise if this procedure is done during a BA? So it is difficult to do, to, do a, a, to raise an inframary fold, to create that landmark. It's something when you're doing breast reconstruction, when someone's had a mastectomy, you've got nothing there. Recreating that inframary fold is a very important part of the surgery because that's a, obviously a very important um, part of getting a nice breast shape rather than just a mound of tissue that sits on the chest. You know, you want to get that nice breast shape and that inframary fold is crucial to recreate that. So it is difficult to recreate the inframary fold you have to use long term or i use long you don't have to i guess but i use long-term dissolving sutures to try and tack down and recreate that fold um, it can give a little pinched appearance when you first do it but those sutures do dissolve over a few months and um and the, the, uh, uh, what are the issues that can arise? Well, I guess the main issues are that those sutures dissolve and the inframammary fold drifts again, and you don't get a nice definition of the fold. That's the main thing that I would worry about when raising an, a fold. It's a hard thing to do, and it's a, there's a risk of the deformity recurring. Is uh, it's a good question, Miss Karina Bean? I hope I've answered that. Please feel free to come back at come back at me about that. Uh, Woohoo! Someone who got my name right, Amy. Or did I? Blimey. Um, thank you so much. Uh, very, very, yeah. Uh, Katie, Sarah, thank you. I'm going to do a couple of waves. Um, so, uh, 
Right. My, what's my next question? I'm looking at my list here. What should I say? So we've done that one. Do I have to be 18 for mole removal at your clinic? So the important words there on that question is at your clinic. So, yes, you do have to be 18 to have a mole removal at my clinic. You don't have to be 18 to have a mole removed. Um, you can, you know, you can, have, you can have a mole removed at any age. But um, there are very strict um, guidelines, is that the word? Or, you know, policies, procedures for dealing with children. And I know you might say that 17 is not a child because some 17-year-olds are bigger than me, probably quite a lot of 17-year-olds are bigger than me. But um, anyway, that's what it is. And in the, in the eyes of the, the um, powers that be, um, so we, we, we're not going through those hoops, even though, to be honest with you, we've got a pediatric surgeon and we've got a pediatric nurse. So we're probably one of the most uh, well-suited clinics to ch treat children because those are probably the most two difficult uh, aspects to fulfill. But uh, nevertheless, we have just made the decision that we're not going to go through all the um, safeguarding and all the issues that we, we would need to do to treat children. Uh, because it's a very small part of of the um, of, of what what we would do anyway, and so yes, you do need to be eighteen to come to to the clinic, but you can go to your local private hospital and be treated uh, if you're if you're under eighteen. Although again, they have <laughs> very strict guidance and it, uh, and it's difficult for them to. I feel sorry actually if you you know fifteen sixteen you got a mole on your face which is easy to remove under local anaesthetic, easily done but um, quite hard to, to, to do it because of all the um, uh, sort of red tape around treating children. So, yeah, unfortunately, we, we only do 18 and above children, big people. Um, is tummy tuck a good way to lose weight? No, of course not. No, it's not a way to lose weight at all. Um, tummy tuck is not a weight loss procedure. Tummy tuck is... Um, is a procedure to remove skin and fat, mainly skin, to contour your abdomen after you've lost weight. So if you want to lose weight, if you win the lottery and think, right, I'm going to have a tummy tuck, forget it. You, you, because if you then went on to lose weight after having a tummy tuck, you'd have loose skin. And if you are heavy, if your weight is high, you are going to not get a good result from your tummy tuck. It's not going to you're going to increase your risk of complications and it just doesn't look good because a tummy tuck yes addresses the central abdomen but if you're sort of carrying a lot of weight elsewhere on your on your frame tummy tuck doesn't do anything about that so it can look still a bit sort of uh round especially if you've got a uh, uh intra-abdominal fat fat inside your abdomen which can't be addressed with a tummy tuck so you can get a sort of rounded or sort of a barrel appearance to your abdomen doesn't look good at all so um yeah it's not a weight loss procedure in any way there is a whole other branch of surgery involved in weight loss called bariatric surgery it's different type of surgeon it's a it will be a general surgeon who <clears throat> who'll be trained in bowel surgery general surgery sounds general but it's not it's specifically or, or mainly bowel surgery and that would be a whole different that's like gastric bands and sleeves and all bypasses and all that sort of thing so that's nothing that's not plastic surgery <clears throat> We deal with people after they've lost the weight when they've got the skin, uh, too much skin, and we, we tighten the skin. So that's what a tummy tuck does. It tummy tuck tightens the skin once you've lost weight. Um, I'm getting hearts coming up on Instagram. That's very, very um, reassuring. I don't know what, what it, uh, whether it signifies something, but it's just, it's just reassuring. So thank you for that, however that is coming. <laughs> um, 
is uh, after moral surgery, how long will the area be red for? Yeah, okay, so there's broadly speaking two ways you can remove a mole. One is to uh, shave it, which gives you a, a red patch, and one is to cut it out, which gives you a line. Call it what you will, they're both scars, all right? Let's 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 not beat around the bush here. We're talking scars, all right? I know people think, what, I'm gonna leave a scar? Well, you know, I can call it something else if you want. I can call it a mark or a line, you know, but yeah, it's a scar. If you remove a mole, it's going to leave a scar. People say, oh, you do it by laser, you don't need a scar. You're like, well, yeah, no, if you're going to remove a mole, you've got to destroy that tissue that, that, the, that, that the pigmented cells are in, and that's going to leave a mark. I don't know, what. it's a scar. Sorry, it's a scar. Now, often the scars say, fade so well that you can't see them. Doesn't mean they're not there. You look really closely, you might be able to see a little white thing, but you know, you can you can you can see um, you can see a mark there. So um, so yeah, when you remove a mole, it's going to leave a scar. So the um, so how long will you be red for? I normally say three to six months. Um, now obviously it's variable, but the main reason that you've got to be aware about the redness is because you don't want to get a tan on it. This is something that's very important, especially if we're going to get into good, some good weather. Um, we we don't really want to get a tan on a red scar. If you get a tan on a red scar it will pick up that pigment and it will stay pigmented. You'll end up with a pigmented scar. So that's the first three to six months. Again, a bit like the um, post-op question. It depends on different people. So um, three to six months is sort of normal. Sometimes three months is gone skin colored. Sometimes it's still very red at five months. So I normally say about three to six months uh, that it remains red. Uh, and massaging it can help it to settle. Uh, and really, a year you probably you you know you're looking at looking at it looking pretty good, but but it can be a bit red for the first three to six months. Drag, thank you for the knowledge. Deserves a heart. So it's you, my friend, who is doing the hearts. Thank you for that. Very much appreciated. And Olivia Paul's X has joined. Olivia Paul's X, or is that Olivia Paul's X? Anyway, um, so um, what's the difference between a breast lift and a reduction? Well, um, the difference is they're very similar procedures. And when you ask, if you if you ask for a post-op, uh, not a post-op, a um, guide, we've got guides that you can get from the clip, from the from the website. Uh, if you ask for a guide, they're, they're, I've done free, I've done guides with frequently asked questions. Um, I've got I've bundled them together. It's a bundle, so it's breast lift, stroke reduction. So it's just one guide because the sort of scarring and the complications and, and a lot of it is very similar with a breast lift and a breast reduction because basically they're both reshaping the breast and a breast lift is um, is is removing skin, tightening the skin envelope, rearranging the volume of, of uh, breast tissue that you've got there and moving it higher up onto your chest. A breast reduction is exactly the same so a breast lift is part of a breast reduction, but at the same time, you remove some of that volume. So you take some of the weight away from the breast. Uh, it is good, A, if you want to be smaller, obviously. If you want to be smaller, then it's a reduction you want, not a lift. A lift, you're broadly speaking the same sort of size. But B, when you do a lift, if you have got big breasts, that volume of breast, that weight of breast will still be acted on by gravity and will droop over time. So if you do have a reduction, particularly if you can take some volume out of the lower pole, if the, the lower part of the breast, it can make it less heavy to make it less likely to droop. So it'll give you a more long lasting result. But obviously you've got to be happy being a bit smaller. If you don't want to be a bit smaller, then it's the lift you want. Very simple, 
uh, question. So I normally say to people, well, hi, how are you doing? What's uh, Can I help you? Yeah, I'd like my breasts to be reshaped. No one says that, but let's just say they said that. Um, okay, well, uh, two things, size, shape. Are you unhappy with the shape? Yes. I don't like the shape. They're droopy. They lost, they've lost their shape. I've had children. I've lost weight, whatever. They're droopy and I don't like the shape. Okay. So are you are you happy with the size? So that's either, yes, I'm happy with the size. Well, that's a lift. Or no, I'm not happy with the size. Okay. I, I need to draw out a thing. Yeah. No, not happy with the size. Okay. Well, they're too big or they're too small? They're too big. Well, if they're too big, then it's a reduction. If they're too small, then it's a lift and implants. So if you're unhappy with the shape, it's a lift. If you're unhappy with the size, if they're too big, it's a reduction. If it's too small, then it's a um, implants. And if it's shape and size, it's lift and implants. Simple. That's it. I've just given it away. I'm, I'm, fortunately, there's no one watching. So Because I've just given away the secret of cosmetic breast surgery right there my friend that's it it's as simple as that people often say i don't know if i need a reduction or a lift or an implant or lift with implants etc etc and just by going through those obviously it's not as simple as that obviously there's more to it you know because implants can do stuff for the shape as well as the size etc etc but still um, broadly speaking that's that's it so a lift and a reduction of the same operation with a reduction just making them a bit smaller so the main thing is particularly if you're ringing the hospital for a price what I would say is if you want a reduction, don't say I want a reduction and a lift. Often people will say, I want a reduction and a lift. Now I would say, well, just you know, so I'll just quote them for a reduction because that's how that's how lift is part of it. But if you've phoned up the hospital, you know, pricing line and you got someone who didn't know about plastic surgery, perhaps, who looked at the price lift for how much a reduction costs and then looks at the price of how much a lift costs and then adds them together, then you're in trouble because that's going to be double the price. And that's um, not what we're dealing with here. You know, it's just it's it's just one price. It's just a reduction price, and a lift is a, is a part of it. Miss Karina Bean, look at you. Would a sternal notch to nipple uh, distance between twenty one to twenty three be a measurement that would be that would put you in a category for a breast lift? Sternal notch to nipple, yeah. Um, look at the Karina Bean's a, a, a you know this is a, it's part of the internet, isn't it? Everyone gets into all these technicalities. I tell you what. I think a lot of medicine is going to be like Google. Fortunately, plastic surgery is a very uh, surgical specialty, so I think we'll still be in a job. But those people who who, who do specialties where you have to do diagnosis and stuff, you worry that everyone can Google it nowadays. They know what they've got wrong with them, because that's a bit technical there, Miss Karina Bean. Um, but broadly speaking, and this is personal, so on a personal basis, um, when people are borderline for a lift, or implants my in my head my my cutoff is 24 a, a, a nipple snipple snipple to nernal dodge um stipple nipple right nipple to sternal notch distance of 24 above 24 i'd be like i think you need a lift i wouldn't go implants if your nipple to sternal notch distance is diff less than that so you're saying 21 to 23 that's not bad, that nipple to sternal notch distance. I'm assuming you've got a problem. So if you haven't got a problem, you wouldn't be here, would you? So let's say you don't like the shape of your breasts, okay? And you've got a nipple to sternal notch distance of 23 centimeters. The next question is, it's the volume. It's the volume that you, that, that whether you're happy with the volume or not. 
because if you are happy with the volume and you don't like the shape then it's just a lift anyway because the only thing that i would think of if you had a shorter nipple sternotus distance 21 23 and you were unhappy with the volume and you want to be bigger then an implant can take up the slack if you like and sometimes avoid the need for a, for a lift so there are patients in fact i say there are patients nobody wants a lift i was going to say there are patients who don't want a lift nobody wants a lift to be honest with you nobody wants the scarring with a lift but uh, a lift is really good at tightening the skin so people say like, i don't want a lift i'm like well you know you could do with a lift because nipples are seeing a bit low but if you actually say i actually want to be bigger you'd have to want to be a fair bit bigger because that implant needs to take up the slack and fill the skin then it might be possible to just use implants and avoid a lift it probably won't be quite or it may not be quite as good as doing a lift because a lift would actually lift the nipple and might make the shape a bit better but you might say look I don't want the scarring and the complications associated with the lift. I'm happy to I'm happy to live with the nipple sitting a bit lower. You'll look great in clothes. Out of clothes, you might say, well, nipple's a bit low. Um, wish it was a bit higher. But um, but there is a category of patients there who have the nipples to certain notch distances of less than 24 who want to be bigger, who can get away possibly without having a lift if they want a certain volume of implant because that will sort of take up the slack, if you like. And avoid the need for a lift. I don't know if you go if that's where you're going. What you come back here if that's the measurement with an implant. So with an implant, that measurement doesn't change. So when you do the nipple to sternal notch distance, when you put an implant in, it does get higher. So it appears that the nipple's being raised, but it's not. The the position from that sternal notch, that bony landmark. If you're not doing a lift, that position doesn't change. With a lift, it changes, but with an implant, it doesn't change. So um, so it it doesn't change with an implant. I hope I'm on track with you, Miss Karina Bean. I hope I haven't gone too technical and too off track. Um, I do tend to do that sometimes, to be to be fair. So uh, feel free to come back at me. Meanwhile, Danny's in in the house. Big up yourself, Danny. Could you do a reduction and an implant rather than a lift to avoid the lift scarring? No, uh, Danny, because the scarring with a reduction and a lift is the same slash similar. You might have a slightly longer horizontal portion to it with a reduction, but uh, the pattern of scarring is the same because a reduction and a lift both lift the nipple. And if you're lifting the nipple, that means you're making a scar around the nipple and then taking some skin out. So there's always a scar around the nipple. For me, a reduction and a lift, there's always a, a, a vertical component to it. So the so-called lollipop or circumvertical scar is an absolute minimum. And there's often a scar in the fold there as well, a horizontal scar, short T, or maybe even a full anchor if you're having a big breast reduction. So the scarring is the same whether you're doing a reduction or a lift. So, yeah, so you couldn't do a reduction and an implant rather than a lift to avoid lift scarring. No. No, I hope that's... Okay, Danny, feel free to come back at me. Miss Karina says, Fabs, thanks so much. Good. Hope I've, I've explained that. Uh, we've got Nicole Nicole over on um, over on Facebook saying, how long is the time for a breast lift, the healing time for a breast lift? So, yeah, I mean, the thing about a breast lift is those scars that meet. So it says it goes around the nipple, then down, and there might be a, a horizontal portion. And whenever two scars meet, particularly that sort of that T-junction at the bottom, there is a risk of that the scarring might take a little bit longer to heal. But still, thinking about it, 
it's pretty much any operation that I do, I aim for the scars to be healed in a week. So your dressings will be on for a week and I aim to be healed in a week. But for a breast lift, to be to be honest and to be completely fair, they're probably not going to be completely healed in a week. There's probably going to be a little spot of this or that, a little bit of blood or things. So we normally give you a bit of gauze to wear inside your bra and, um, and it's probably going to be you know, two, maybe three weeks for everything to be completely dry. And that's where you can start getting in your hot tub or going swimming and things. So I'd say two or three weeks for the heal, he, he skin to be healed, but then it's two or three months for the scarring to settle. And, uh, you know, it, it takes months. I normally say it's, things really start to settle about three months in terms of the scarring, the redness, the funny feelings, stuff like that. And they can take six, eight, maybe even 12 months for them to really properly um settle so it can take a long time for it to really properly all settle pratik says hi and i got an i got a feeling that pratik is on youtube is this a youtube comment wow i've got a youtube viewer look at that i've got a youtube viewer. i don't think i've ever had a youtube comment that is great i don't Oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? I think I have had comments on YouTube, but not on the live. But hello, Pratik. Is this is this YouTube live? Does it work? Brilliant. Nice to see you. Um, Miss Karina Bean on Instagram. Is there any risk to your breastfeeding potential with implants placed under the muscle? No. Or over the muscle, Miss Karina Bean? No. Under or over? No. There's absolutely no problem with uh, being able to breastfeed whether you have the implants under or where as I say, wherever you put them up, put them. Assuming you can breastfeed now, that's the thing I would say, because some people can't breastfeed, but having breast implants is not going to affect your ability to breastfeed. Some slight, slight sort of rider on that is it does depend a little bit on the incision that you make. So I pretty much always make an inframammary incision, which is in the fold where your bra sits, and I go underneath the breast gland and push the ground forward. Sometimes people will use an infraareolar incision, so they make the U-shape incision on the areola. And there is a risk that some of the ducts might be damaged doing that. So there is, I don't do it. So you don't probably have to talk to someone who does it to say what, you know, whether that's going to make, potentially give you a significant risk of problems with breastfeeding. Um, so maybe the infraareolar incision might have a higher risk of problems with breastfeeding. Um, but uh, but I don't do it for, uh, for for putting implants in. I use the inframammary. And the inframammary, you're, you're not cutting any ducts or anything like that. You're just going underneath the breast and pushing the breast forward. So all the ducts will remain intact. Oh, look at this. Pratik asked another question on YouTube. Two questions on YouTube. Right, Pratik, what will the cost of this tattoo excision be? Um, Pratik depends on two things. Size and location, my friend. So um, a big tattoo in a good location is, well, that's not, well, that is the cost, but also whether it's a goer, to be honest with you, Pratik, I get several tattoos a day i think it's fair to say several tattoo photos of several tattoos a day um asking for, for prices but what percent 80 percent of them i would say i i would say I, I can't do i can't i can't remove because if you've got a big tattoo on your shoulder big thing on your forearm you know not even that bigger thing on your on your finger you know you can't remove it if it's either a big big tattoo or a small tattoo in a bad location like your finger or your hand you know these roses and stuff on the back of my hand then then i can't remove it it has to be either a small tattoo or i can sometimes remove a bigger tattoo if it's in a location with laxity classic being the abdomen you know there's quite a lot of lax laxity on most of our abdomens um and so it depends on size and location as to whether it is a goer of uh at all 
backside of my hand. I've got to be honest with you, Pratik, it's not a good place for a, for a tattoo in terms of for excision, because what often happens, I say it depends on the laxity of the skin. So what people do is they say, look at that, there's loads of skin laxity. Look, I can pinch it and I can get all that skin. You know, I can do that. And then I say to them, well, make a fist and the laxity all goes. So, you you know, you've got to be able to make a fist. You don't want to make a fist. You don't want to have the thing removed. And then you go home and go to make a cup of tea and, you you know, go and put the kettle on and your wound opens up. So um, it's not there's not as much spare skin on the back of the hand. That's hurt me quite a lot, actually, pinching my hand. There's not as much spare skin on the back of the hand as you would think. So, you know, if it's a small one, if it's favorable. So favorable means if it's like an, in a linear. So often we see people with names and things on this side. That's that's favorable for excision. And the the, the way that it will be favorable on your hand is going like that in that way. Because we want to make the, the, the scar that way. We don't want to make the scar that way. Because if we make the scar that way, and when you make a fist, it will pull the scar open. But if you make the scar that way, so if you're, if you're accessing the hand, if you're doing surgery on the hand, you make the scar that way. Um, so if by any chance it's uh, an arrow or something on the hand, that might be a goer. But it's pretty rare to have an arrow on the hand. So, uh, so it might not be a goer. Would a skin graft work? Well, Pratik, in specifically answering your question, would a skin graft work? The specific answer to that is yes, a skin graft would work. But should you have a skin graft? Absolutely not. And would I do one? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do a skin graft, particularly on the back of the hand. Skin grafts don't move very well. You've got tendons there, you know, right there. You don't want to tether any of the tendons. They're unsightly. Yeah, I know you probably don't like the look of your, your tattoo at the moment, but skin grafts don't look good. And uh, on many levels, skin grafts aren't good. So a lot of people say, can you not just remove my tattoo and put a skin graft on it? And I pretty much always say no, because skin grafts don't look good, good at all. So if I was going to remove a large tattoo, I do something called serial excision, which means taking a big chunk of it out, closing it tight, leaving it a few months when it's had time to relax, and then taking another big chunk of it out. That's called serial excision. But skin grafts don't look good, and in my hands and in my experience, it's not a good way to remove a tattoo because it gives you it trades one thing that you don't like in potentially for another thing that you don't like in, and the other the um, don't like in don't like. I don't know why I said in. Um, and the other thing about it is particularly someone on the back of the hand, you'd worry about the functional aspects of it in, for, in terms of tethering the, tethering the skin and the, and the tendons and making you not be able to move your hand as well. So I'd say it's a no-no. I mean, if you had a big skin cancer on the back of your hand, yes, you could take it off and put a skin graft on there. But um, for a tattoo, I wouldn't recommend it, Pratik. Lovely that I'm getting comments on YouTube. Sorry if I'm not being um, desperately positive, but I'm trying to be realistic. But at Pratik, if you want to email uh, a photo, I'll be very happy to have a look at it. Info at stianoplasticsurgery.co.uk. Be very happy to look at it. Uh, what's going on? Instagram is kicking off. Um, breastfeeding, we've done that. Brill, thank you. You're welcome. Danny CXX, what's the recovery for mummy makeover in terms of getting back to normal mum duties? Also, if you have more than one tummy tuck down, you use the same scar. Do you use? I think that is do you? Yeah. Okay. So the recovery for mummy makeover in terms of getting back to normal mum duty. So mummy makeover is an abdominal and a breast procedure. So I would normally say that probably the abdominal procedure or the tummy tuck. Let's 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 not let's not split hairs. So we're talking about tummy tucks. It's a tummy tuck, isn't it? The tummy tuck I would say is probably going to be the overriding one, and so your breast is going to get you know healed while your tummy's healing. So you'll be bent over when you first have a tummy tuck. It is quite a big deal. 
and uh, you'll you'll be a bit uncomfortable for for a good couple of weeks. You know, you may well be you come back to the clinic after a week, have the dressings off, and you probably be a bit bent over when you when you come back then. So it'll be a good couple of weeks for for being bent over and not really wanting to do mum duties, not really want to be lifting the kids and things like that. Um, I normally say no heavy lifting for four to six weeks, but it's hard when you've got small children because obviously they'll come up and say, oh, mum, can you not hurt my leg and you want to give them a cuddle? So you end up just sort of sitting on a chair and then putting them on your knee type of thing. Um, so, um, so yeah, but for the first four to six weeks, it will be uncomfortable and you will struggle a bit if you are, you know, sp you know the, the, the main care of your children. So I think you've got to think about that and it'll be good if you had help in the first month or so. Um if you have more than one tummy tuck, then uh, the so if you've already got a scar in the area, then what we would normally aim to do, assuming the scar's nicely placed, is go below that scar and cut it out. Similarly, if you've got a cesarean section, go below that scar. So that scar gets removed. So you left up with just one scar. So, yes, the scar is removed and you end up just with just one scar. So you, you don't have any evidence of a previous scar. Uh, practice back on YouTube. YouTube's on fire. It's around two inches. I had it done on a scar, but now I prefer a scar. Um, two inches. Yeah, that's big, isn't it? Two inches on the hand. Back of the hand, that's that's big, uh, Pratik. If two inches is, is the narrowest dimension, if you like. Yeah, that is big for the back of the hand. Um, so just from what you're saying, it doesn't sound like it's a good one for excision practice. And the thing that I always say to people with tattoos is the first um, line of treatment is laser. So I don't know if you've tried laser, but that is the first line of treatment. And the people I see have normally tried laser and it's not worked. So, um, but it, but it, it's not for every tattoo excision. As I say, the, the majority of patients who send in photos are, are not suitable for excision. So, and it sounds like you might be one of them practice, sorry to be um, a naysayer. Uh, uh, Miss Karina Bean, come on. Uh, Holly's waving back at you. Speaking of tummy tuck scars, would a typical C-section incision be at slash above slash below a TT scar? At Miss Karina Bean, at. So again, when you have a, t t a, t a cesarean section scar, what I do is I go just below that scar because they're usually pretty well placed and they usually sell pretty well. So I go just below that scar and excise it and then aim for the, the tummy tuck scar to be the same sort of level as that uh, that that um, scar um, and um, the, the only thing is if it's quite tight then it can pull the scar up a bit can pull it up but we aim to be at about the same area as the um, as this, as the uh, cesarean section scar if the TT scar was there first though oh I see you know what uh, do you know what Miss Karina um, I don't, I've got to be honest with you, I don't quite understand. Sometimes I see people who've had two cesarean sections and they've got two scars. And I don't really understand the mentality of the surgeon that's done that, that they've got a scar there and they've actually just made another scar next to it. I mean, I just don't get it. So um, I guess I would say if you've already got a tummy tight scar and you're having a cesarean section, I would speak to the surgeon and say, I would just excise that tummy tuck scar, you know, so you only have one scar. There's no need to keep on making new scars. You just excise the old scar and use that for your access. Um, 
if the tummy tuck scar was first. So yes, as Danny says, the tummy the tummy tuck scar is much longer than a cesarean section scar. So they would just be excised in the middle portion of it. So it would look a bit weird. You'd have a fresh middle portion and then, you know, old side bits to the scar. But once that middle portion is, you know, after a year, it will catch up and it will all settle and it will just look like one scar. So I would say you're better off just, if, if I was doing the cesarean section, which I wouldn't, you wouldn't want me doing the cesarean section because I don't know what I'm doing in terms of that sort of stuff. But if I was doing the access, I would just excise that, that middle portion of your abdominal plasty scar and use that. But as I say, I have seen people who've had second, so I suspect they probably won't. They'll just pretend it's not there and make another scar above and below it, which doesn't make any sense to me. But what can you do? Uh, Pratik, what you got? YouTube, come on. This, this commenting practice is brilliant because this is going to now make the YouTube world think, hold on a minute, what's this? Something going on. I bet I'm going to get my YouTube views up. Huh? What if a partial incision is done and then after a few months we do it fully? That is serial excision practice. That is serial excision. That, that is exactly, you've described serial excision, which I tried to describe a minute ago, which is basically taking a chunk of it out, letting it settle, uh, closing it tight and then three months later it's not so tight so you, then you can take another chunk of it out so that is um that is known as serial excision and that is a technique that you can use for big tattoos um but it's just i just think taking big chunks out of the back of my hand is not good practice so um send us a photo and i'll have a, I'll have a look and that, that might be an option it does prolong it and it means it takes a few goes but it might be an option there is a YouTube video out there about serial excision. I'm pretty sure of it. But yeah, that's what you're describing there. Natalie um, has joined. Miss, um, how long after birth is a good time for a consultation for mummy makeover? Um, it depends on how sort of how keen you are, Danny. Because if you're very keen, then I would say three months, um, and then three months with a view to minimum six months for doing surgery. But to be quite honest with you, Danny, I normally recommend a year after birth for a mummy makeover for two reasons. One, to let all your tissues settle, your tummy settle, your breasts settle, especially if you're breastfeeding, let everything settle. Um, but also your child's then a year old and a bit easier to manage. Now, you might say I've got loads of help at home and I want to have it done sooner because I'm on maternity leave. A lot of people say that sort of thing. So, you, you know, as I say, six months is the soonest you could do it. But I normally advise people to wait a year if they can. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, if you really wanted to the soonest, I would say consultation at three months with a view to surgery at six months, but, um, it may be better to, I mean, it doesn't matter when you come for consultation, you can always come back if you can have surgery later on. So you could always come at three months and still have surgery at 12 months, maybe come at, you know, eight months or something. But, um, yeah. Um, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, you. Uh, What's going on? If a partial, please send me your email. Pratik, I don't know how to send you my email because I can type stuff, but I think it will come up on. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to, going to type it. Oh, yeah, I can. I can. I can, Pratik. Hi, Pratik. My email is info. Oops. Cyanoplasticsurgery.co.uk. How's that? How's that? that go? There you go. Um, yeah, that's good, isn't it? 
So yeah, send us a photo, Patrick, and I'll give you give one of the. I'll have a look at it, and then someone in the office will give you a, an email back. They'll, they'll they'll drop you an email tomorrow. Um, but thank you, thank you for participating. Uh, what was that? Was that the thing? How long after birth? Miss Karina Bean, does breastfeeding cause breasts to potentially sag more, or is it the pregnancy slash postpartum increase in size because cause most of the damage per se? Um, yeah, I think it's the I think it's the the, the the whole thing that causes most of the damage, Miss Karina Bean. And I think if you want to breastfeed, then you should breastfeed and uh, not worry about it. The consequences. Now, since so, I think I think even if you don't breastfeed, the breasts get bigger. They get engorged with milk. The skin gets stretched, and you do have a potential risk of the breast sagging. Since you asked the question, the longer they're stretched for, it's like anything. It's like um, it's like a jumper. You know, you stretch it. And then let go it goes back but if you stretch it for a long time you know if you sit there with your knees in it all the time it's going to lose its elasticity so the longer they're stretched for the more they're going to sag so yes if you are breastfeeding for a prolonged period of time then they're going to stay bigger for longer and so you are going to increase your risk of it sagging but don't let me don't let that not make you breastfeed because breastfeeding is good and if you want to breastfeed fine but since you asked the question Yes, I think breastfeeding does potentially cause the breast to sag more the longer you breastfeed. That is, that is a risk. <clears throat> oh, where are we at? Great analogy. Thank you. Just thought of that just now. Make a note of it, the jumper and the knees. Yeah, thank you. Um, what we at? How long does a breast lift last? There we go. How long does a breast lift last? Um, that's a tricky one. I think I've heard a lot of people say 10 years, but... I don't know how you can say that, really. I mean, what I normally say is that what this stuff does, and it doesn't matter if it's a breast lift or a facelift or whatever, is, um, well, those are the two big ones, really, breast lift and facelift, I think, is it resets you to a better place. And then you will continue to age from that place. So it doesn't stop time at that place. It doesn't mean that you have a breast lift and then your breast will stay like that forever you will still be acted on by gravity. And if you have children or put on and lose weight, which are the two big things that can make your breast droop, that's going to make your breast droop again. So they will droop again over time. Um, maybe 10 years is a good thing to say. Maybe that's a good, I don't know. But uh, but they basically they will droop again over time. Um, and... Um, and if you can look after them and not have significant weight fluctuations and not um, have children, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't have children, but if you didn't have children, you're going to make them last longer. Is my areola reconstructed in a breast lift procedure? So the areola is the bit about around the nipple. It's the, the pink bit of skin around the nipple. The nipple is the bit that sticks out. So it's called the nipple areola complex, NAC. And... Uh, Reconstructed, no. I mean, reconstructed is a term that we use to make it again. So like for someone who has breast cancer, where you take the nipple areola complex off, you reconstruct the areola, usually by tattooing. There's other ways you can do it by taking skin grass from the groin area and things which are a bit darker. But uh, it's not reconstructed. Um, basically, your, your areola, you cut around the areola. Reducing the areola is an integral part of a breast uh, lift. Um, so you cut around the areola to the time, to the size of areola you want, and then you take away all the skin around it, and then you 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 mobilise the breast higher up onto your chest and and uh, and stitch it back in again. So it's the same areola; it's not reconstructed; it's just moved. Um, 
when can I wear a normal bra after augmentation? I normally say a month. Um, a month is sort of normal. Uh, we give you a post-op bra um, to wear. And um, uh, I normally say wear that day and night for a month and then see how you go. The problem with a normal bra after augmentation is that it can irritate your scar. So if it irritates your scar, I'll say, look, go back into your other bra. You might also find that it's still a bit swollen, a bit uncomfortable, so you might want to wear your bra for longer. So I would say a month is a minimum, um, but you can wear it for longer. If we're going to get into some hot weather and things, people don't like wearing the post-op bra because it's uncomfortable and it's a bit hot and things. So, you know, um, a month is the minimum, and then just see how you feel, but you might want to wear it for longer, which is fine. Um, do you use drains for tummy tuck procedures? If no, where does the fluid slash blood go? Good question. Now, for tummy tuck procedures, I do still use drains. It's one of the few operations I use drains in. I think as general terms, we are moving away from using drains. But tummy tucks is one of those ones that I do still use drains from for. And the reason I use drains is because there's, a, there's a, what's called a dead space there. There's a space there. And the drains are what's called suction drains, which means they've got constant negative pressure. And that negative pressure sucks the space down to make it stick together. And so the worry is that if you don't suck it down and make them stick together, that you might get some fluid collection there known as a seroma uh, and a hematoma, but hematoma less so. Hematoma is blood collection, which ha can happen after an operation. And to be honest, that can happen whether or not you use drains. The main reason I use drains is to, is to close down that dead space and reduce the risk of um, uh, a seroma. Now, if no, where does the blood glow go? So for a lot of operations like breast lifts, breast reductions, etc., or at least smaller breast reductions, I don't use drains. And you might, and I, and I understand what you're saying, say, hold on a minute, if you're going to use a drain, the day after a drain, you can see stuff in the bottle. So if you don't use a drain, where's that stuff going? Well, the stuff just gets resorbed, number one. So a bit like when you bang your arm and it all swells up, it gets resorbed by your body. But number two, the presence of the drain can irritate the tissues and cause it to, to produce more stuff. So actually having a drain can potentially cause it to, to drain more, sort of, um, uh, unfortunately. So, um, so yeah, first of all, the, blood, the body will resorb it. And secondly, I think there'll be less stuff if you didn't have a drain. Uh, so I think the presence of the drain does cause stuff to, to, uh, to come. Miss um, Karina Bin, is it normal for an implant to cause a sound in the armpit when the arm is dropped down quickly? Is this a sign of implants placed too laterally? Is it something that could be improved with capsulography? I'll tell you what, Miss Karina Bean has swallowed the plastic surgery textbook. Capsulography. I think that's spelled right as well. Capsulor, is it double L? Could this also improve me? Crikey, O'Reilly. Miss um, Karina Bean. Uh, in answer to your specific question, which is around the sound, no, I don't think... So, yes, the sound is normal. It is normal to get sound. When you move your arm, you get sound, and it's an air-fluid interface, and presumably it's shortly after having surgery. So shortly having hurt surgery, you get an air-fluid interface, and you get squelching and... Um, what are you calling it? Just a sound, yeah. Um, just a sound, yeah, that's fine. So the sound is, is fine. The lateral placement of the implants is more of a physical thing. So do they look like they're too laterally placed? Is your cleavage too wide? So if that's the case, then well, maybe then they um, they are placed too laterally. And if they're placed too laterally, then yes, they could be improved with a capsulography. So a capsulography is where you stitch the capsule together. You close the capsule down. So the capsule is scar tissue forming around like a farting sound. Yes, very good. Yeah, basically. Oh, years later. No, 
Oh, years later. Oh, crikey. No, Miss Crew, I'm talking about like the first week or two after surgery. Um, no, that sounds a bit odd, Miss Crew, Naveen. I think you need to go and see a surgeon. That sounds odd. Um, but I, I don't really know what's causing that sound years after surgery. Uh, so specifically for the sound, I don't, I'm not sure if a capsulography would help that. Now, if it, if you feel that your implants are too placed laterally and you haven't got a very good medial cleavage, then you could medialize them. You could bring them medially and, um, and close down the, the space laterally with a capsulography. Uh, air tra trapped in the armpit. It's not the usual air inside. Yeah, I mean, when you do surgery, Miss Karina Bean, you do get air trapped inside, but that air gets resorbed after a week or two. You don't get air. Air won't stay. You won't get a pocket of air staying there years later. Um, you can't create an air pocket inside the body. If you put some air into the, if you sort of opened up, made a space and closed it and trapped air inside, that air would get resorbed. It wouldn't stay there forever and cause a farting sound. That wouldn't happen so i think it's a bit unusual that you're getting that years later I've got to be honest um and often it's the air fluid which cause um yeah a bit of sort of farting sound a bit of like a sloshing sloshing about type sound um so i think that sound is a bit unusual miss karina bean i would go back to see your surgeon and talk to your surgeon about that because that does sound unusual but the um yeah, I, I can I can I can envisage the sound, but I I don't know what's causing it years later. It shouldn't really shouldn't really be a, a vacuum or a space there. Um, the only thing I would say about the lateral capsulography to medialize your implants is you've got to look at your shape of your breast and you've got to look at your nipples, the position of your nipples. Because what we try and do is you try and centralize the implants on the nipples. So sometimes people have got a wide, you know, laterally spaced breasts and a wide cleavage. Uh, naturally so you go you know you've got to look at your pre-op state so if your implants are actually centered on your nipple you've got to be a bit careful because if you medialize them and try and make the cleavage look better and move those those implants uh, medially if they were centralized on the nipple before and then you medialize them that nipple can look lateral that nipple can look like it's weird it looks like the nipple space laterally when in fact you haven't moved the nipple You've just moved the implants. So by moving the implants, you've got to be a bit careful because you can make nipples look too high, too low, two to the side, two to the middle, just by moving the implant, if that makes sense. So if your implant's sitting too high, your nipples can look like they're sitting really low. And then you move the implants down. But if you move them too far and move the implants really low and your nipples are at the top of the implants, it looks like your nipples are sitting high. When in fact, your nipples haven't moved. Does that make sense? And it's the same with the medial lateral. We try and centralize the, the, the implants on the nipples uh, or the nipples on the implants. Anyway, um, so that's something to bear in mind if you are thinking of uh, medializing your implants. I have too much side boob, hence the noise when my arm hits off it. So too much side boob, yes, medializing would help. But as I say, you've got to see if they're centralized on the nipple. If they are centralized on the nipple, then that would suggest to me maybe the implants a bit too wide. And that's one thing that I'm very keen on is not putting implants in that are too wide. So if you do feel that like you've got too much side boob, it's too full laterally and your arm's hitting it, then that is a problem with putting implants in too wide. And that's something I'm very careful about, making sure that the diameter of the implant is correct, uh, the width of the implant is correct. So um, uh, as I say, it might be placed too laterally, in which case medializing would solve all your problems because you wouldn't have that side boob. Well, maybe not the farting sound, but it would solve the, the lateral fullness and it will medialize the cleavage. But if they are actually centered on the nipple, it might be that you'll need a narrower implant. But if you have a narrower implant, 
the width of your cleavage will get will get wider. So it will it will not help the the the, the, the medialization problem. So yeah, that was my, so great minds, Miss Karina Bean. Great minds think like tricky problem by the sounds of it. Oh my God, Alexandra says evening. We've got another person commenting on YouTube. Hi, Alexandra. This is new to me having comments on YouTube and. Uh, Pratik has started it, so thank you, Alexandra, for continuing. We've got two people commenting on YouTube. That's a thousand percent better than ever because I don't know if anyone has commented on this before, but that's really good. Excellent. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, very excited about that. Um, so yeah, Miss Karina Bean, we got we got great minds think alike. So yeah, tricky problem, Miss Karina Bean. You need a surgeon to have a look at that. So preferably your previous, your your, your, your surgeon, because you must have a surgeon because you've got all these things going on. So good luck with that. Good luck with that. Um, do you prescribe antibiotics post surgery? No, I do not. Um, well, the only actually the only one that I do prescribe antibiotics for is fat grafting. I do give um, five days of antibiotics for fat grafting. But for everything else, breast implants, tummy tucks, breast lifts, you name it, thigh lifts, arm lifts, um, I give one dose of uh, IV, intravenous antibiotics, on induction in theatre. And I don't give any post-op um, post antibiotics because there's no evidence to say that it's good, uh, that it reduces your risk of infection, uh, and there are problems with prescribing too much antibiotics. So I just give one dose I, uh, IV in theatre, and I don't give any post-op. I am aware that some people do give post-op, but it's not based on evidence. I think it's based on how they feel about things, which is fine. But um, but that's just a, how I've always done it. So, um, yeah. That is me. Right, I'm out. I'm out of questions. Oh, that was, that was quite long, wasn't it? Good one, though. Miss Karina Bean and... Um, Danny, yeah, Miss Karina Bean and Danny did well. Pratic, good on you on YouTube. Pratic has started something on YouTube, guys. I think I'm going to blow up on YouTube. I see my children with these YouTube videos with millions of views, and I'm I feel like I'm going to be there one day. Uh, and they're rubbish, honestly, rubbish. Playing some stupid hide and seek type game, Minecraft, a load of old rubbish, and they got literally millions of views. For goodness sake, this sort of stuff that I'm doing, I keep on telling them they should be watching this stuff. Maybe not specifically this stuff, but, you know, this is... Anyway, biding my time. Pratik and Alexandro started on YouTube. Jackie says, great Q&A. Thank you, Jackie. You, you've been here in the beginning, Jackie, before I was a YouTube YouTuber. Look at that. Two, two people commented on YouTube, Jackie. Miss Karina says, oh, Danny, you've got a question. Oh, Danny's got a question. If taking immunosuppression, does this continue over surgery or do you advise to stop? Good question, Danny. I'm sorry, I don't want to be um, evasive, but I'm going to say it depends. Immunosuppression will reduce your risk of wound healing, reduce your, sorry, not reduce your risk of wound healing, that doesn't make sense, reduce your ability to, to heal your wounds and it will reduce your ability to fight infection. So increases your risk of infection, increases your risk of wound healing problems. So immunosuppression is bad from a surgery point of view. We don't really want to do surgery on people who are immunosuppressed. So if you are immunosuppressed, we'd have to talk to the person who is dealing with your immunosuppression to say, does she need the immunosuppression? Is something really bad going to happen if we stop this? Depends on what you're on as well. 
you know, steroids and things like that aren't, aren't good for surgery. So can we stop this and get you healed and then start it again? Or is that going to have some kind of catastrophic result on whatever you're on the immunosuppression for? In which case we'd have to say to you, look, either don't do surgery because you've got a really high risk or say to you, look, you've got a higher risk than normal because we can't stop your immunosuppression. Do you want to go ahead with surgery or, or not? Because you've got a higher risk than most people in terms of particularly in terms of infection and wound healing problems. So I can't give a blanket answer, but basically, if we can stop the immunosuppression, it will be better. But we'd have to do that with the blessing of the person who's put you on the immunosuppression, because they might say, for goodness sake, it's going to be really catastrophic if she stops it because she's got this really bad problem. Yeah, azathioprine and prednisolone. That's pretty hardcore, Danny. I've got to be honest with you. That's pretty strong immunosuppression. So we, you know, we don't want to stop your immunosuppression and get a flare-up of whatever the whether you've got an autoimmune disease or whatever the problem is that's that's uh, that's caught that's requiring you to have immunosuppression we don't want to get a flare-up but they say oh yeah stop it and we'll do your breast augmentation and then you get this terrible thing and then your doctor who's looking after your immunosuppression saying why the heck did you stop that so we'd have to work together yeah work together with your rheumatologist or whoever it is looking after your immunosuppression and just say hey guys what can we do can we stop it can we uh, 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 optimize it so if we can't stop the surgery can't go ahead i'm not saying that uh, danny i wouldn't say that blanketly i would say that if we can't stop the immunosuppression you're going to have a higher risk of wound healing problems and you're going to have a higher risk of infection and obviously it depends on what surgery we're talking do we know what so you said earlier what surgery you're talking is it mummy makeovers and things you're asking because that's quite a big deal so um you know if you're talking about um breast implants particularly as i said earlier we really do worry about infection with breast implants so that is a big deal uh tummy tucks big wound healing problems etc so um it would need a discussion danny between yourself your surgeon and your physician looking after your immunosuppression yeah mummy moko that's a big deal so i'm not going to say no but i'm going to say maybe not because you're going to increase your risks and so it might you know depends on how it's like, who was it earlier on saying, I'm worried about infection? Were you there right at the beginning? Someone said, I'm worried about infection with breast implants. It's a risk-benefit thing, you know? It depends on how much the benefit's going to be. Your risk is higher than other people, so you're going to be less likely to go ahead with surgery than someone else, all other things being equal. But you might feel that your benefit is really, really high, so that brings you, you know, that brings the, the, the balance step back, you know, because your, your risk is going to be higher than, than a normal... Not, I shouldn't say normal than a non-immunosuppressed person your risk is going to be higher but you might find that your benefit is going to be massively higher so then because this is terrible or you might find actually you know what it's not that bad i don't really want to get an infection and i don't want to have wound healing problems and etc etc it's what it's all about danny there's no there's no black and white unfortunately i think a lot of patients would prefer it if there was more black and white in this and just say oh you've got to have it this you've got to have the implant above the muscle you've got to have this implant you've got to have that to be honest with you, a lot of this stuff is opinions, experience, and a lot of it we talk to you about it, especially these days. These days we're a lot more, um, a lot less paternalistic and a lot more, what's the word, you know, talking with the patient, you know, making a plan with the patient. And like people saying, I've got a 23 centimetre nipple to sternal loss distance and people getting really involved with their surgery but we're, we're encouraged to do that to get empower patients to make decisions about their health type thing rather than being paternalistic and saying i'm not operating on anyone who's immunosuppressed 
um, you know, we just say, well, uh, you know what, got a high risk. You slip that one in, Danny, last minute. Oh dear, I, I, I genuinely do think I need to lie down now. Um, but uh, thank you all. Um, Danny and Miss Karina particularly, uh, but not now. Pratik, let's not let's not forget Pratik on YouTube and uh, all the other um, contributors this evening. Thank you all for contributing. Um, contributing. That's how you say it. Um, and I'm going to check out basically. But if you've got any questions, post them here. Post them somewhere on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, on whatever. Message me and um, I'll ask them. Simple as that. That's how it works. So I will see you this time next week. Uh, Katie Adamthwaite has just arrived. Get the numbers up, Katie. Big up yourself. Well done for arriving. I'm shooting off now, but I'll tell you what, you watch back. It was a belter. You're going to, God, 11, Charlie, 11's just, God, everyone's arriving now. Look at this. The numbers are swelling, honestly. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn about plastic surgery, guys, you look at the last, um, however long we've been here, how long we've been here, an hour or something. It's been, um, it's been a roller coaster. But uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for these hearts that are coming. I don't know if that's drag or if that's someone else, but whoever it is, thank you for that. I am going to go and uh, put my feet up, and I suggest you do likewise. But until next week, I'll be here 7 o'clock, fashionably late, like your style. That is cool, man. Yeah. Um, been a, I don't know about that. I'm always, I'm always way early myself. Anyone knows me. Um, I'm not. I'm always late. So, uh, but thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. And I'll see you next week. And I will stop that one. Stop the stream. Stop the stream. And I'm going to exit here. A question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.